Hey guys, it's George here. Um, I'm recording this as I'm editing the current episode of the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, we had a bit of a problem with the latest recording where basically the first 10 or so minutes just did not record um, at all. You know, I, I can't explain exactly what happened. Um, I've, this has never happened before and I can't I can't say exactly what's caused it, but basically the first 10 or so minutes are missing, uh, including the intro and sort of the first stuff that we were talking about. Basically, what, I mean, it's it's just a case of really that, you know, I, I didn't want this episode to go to waste uh, because we really enjoyed it and we talked about a lot of really good stuff. So, just to let you know sort of what happened, we have um, Owen Parks as a guest um, this time. He's an Everton fan and writer. You can check out all the links in the description that I've left uh, for him. Uh, basically, we were talking about the the Everton Villa game mostly, um, and just sort of how his season's gone from there. And it was it was you know he wasn't too positive about it overall. Uh, I can't uh, again I can't remember exactly what was talked about because there's a lot of stuff in there. But that's basically where it resumes from. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, rather than throwing you straight in the deep end of the stuff that we did record. Um, so yeah, again, I'm very sorry about this. Again, it was just a case of I didn't want this episode to go to waste um, because, like I said, there's there's some, there's some good stuff in there. I think. Yeah, well, I'll just drop you off where we actually did record, and I'll hope you enjoy the 50 or so minutes that actually made it. So, yeah, cheers. Play. There's no, in defence, we, we struggle. There's no even resemblance of some sort of low block. It's just meh. It's not, there's, no, there's not much organisation there either anymore. It feels like the players, and for that matter, Carlo Ancelotti, has gone on the summer breaks about four weeks early. Because absolutely, there's no effort there. Bournemouth and Sheffield United will turn us over comfortably as I think we've both got better players than Villa. And they, there's something on the game for them both. We are just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, with Villa, I mean, they obviously just come off the back of beating us, which is a big confidence booster. Was it a case that they were just really up for it and you struggled to deal with it? Or was it just was it just a shambles all around? <laughs> um, I don't think they were very good. I, I said before the game, if Villa had the desire and wanted to go out and win that game, they would have won it. And I, I'm worried that they they were just a bit nervous to the occasion of having to win that game and sort of bottled it. El Ghazi had a great chance in the second half and it was harder to miss, to be honest. Jordan Pickford just gives him the goal to put it in and he, he sort of fluffed his lines, to be honest. We didn't trick anything. I don't think we had a shot on target to our goal. Which against Aston Villa, who's got a terrible defensive record, it's not very good in summer, really, is it? Um, we struggle to put passes together after the first 20 minutes. It's it's just a very limited performance that just harks back to Everton, maybe before even I was born, and just and I just a bad bad team to watch, and that was a bad bad game to watch. Yeah, I mean, Dan, Johnny, um, obviously, Dan, you're a Liverpool fan, as I've now learned this week. Um, <laughs> what, have, what have you two made of both, um, Both, I mean, the performance last night, if either of you saw it? What have you made of Everton then and just Everton over the season? What what, what's, what springs to mind for you guys? Well, Everton, they're, they're a strange team, man. They're, you know, they've got some really talented players in that team. You know, they've got Sigurdsson, Tom Davies, who I'm a massive fan of, you know, and they just, they, they're kind of flat and deceived, didn't they, Everton? You know, I think... They had a real chance, of, you know, with the players they've got to get into Europe. But they just seem to have been overjumped by teams like Wolves and Sheffield United. And Everton, unfortunately, they are a mid-table club. And that's, and that's what they are, unfortunately. And they've got some really good players in that team. But um, they just don't seem to gel. And I mean, I, I didn't watch the game tonight because I was out. But um, I was seeing reports of it and it wasn't it wasn't particularly great by all accounts. No, I don't know where you're getting Tom Davis as a good footballer. Generally, <laughs> <laughs> the most League One footballer I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Um, yeah, obviously, from my point of view, it's uh, it's a difficult one to really analyse Everton for obvious reasons. Um, but Tom Davis isn't very good. Uh, aside from that, they've spent a lot of money, but the problem they've had for a couple of years now is the is the turnover of managers. Really, they went with Marco Silva, who bought his own players, tried to implement his own style, and then he goes. So now Ancelotti has been left with the remnants of of his era, really. And, and can't really do a lot with them. He's definitely improved them since he came in. They're more organised. The game against us, I mean, it's a dour game of football. But that's been just, every game, mate. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the other thing. You see, I've got a couple of blue mates now. David, you can imagine them. They haven't enjoyed watching football since he came back, and they've actually 
turned away from football. And I've just told them it's not the football as it is. It's just watching Everton at the minute. They're, they're, they're dire to watch. And I've watched them a few times, including tonight a bit. And there's nothing to them. There's there's no there's no style. You're not sure. You're not quite sure what they are. Sometimes they go long up to Calvert-Lewin, and you think, oh, that's how they're going to play. And then they get it down the next minute and play a different way. It's really strange to watch. Um, go on, mate. Go on, yeah. And, and as for Pickford, well, I'm going to bring him up again later, but I I simply can't get my head around him. He is a bizarre character. Yeah, he's the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League. <laughs> and he's our number one. That'll be that'll be a fun Euros. <laughs> No, he, he well, England's number one. Well, I'm sure there's better goalkeepers in League One and the Championship than him. He's got no temperament. He, he is just, I'm ready. Low, he's a, I just love him to be honest. I really dislike the man, and then that that is just everything. An Everton goalkeeper of the past, I think. Uh, even Tim Howard, who we weren't really keen on as a goalkeeper, but he had, he had, he was a leader from the front, and he, he you could always see him organising the defence. I think someone what gate what team was it? I think it was the Burnley game and as the commentator on said Burnley have captains all over the pitch and managers all over the pitch putting the team in place. But we've not got one. And that that's very concerning to be honest. Yeah, and with 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 Pickford as well, it's like on Sunday against Wolves, you know, when when that ball went through his legs and he you know, poked his tongue out on the line, it's like you're losing two 0 You know what I mean? And yeah, you his his attitude is um it's very bizarre. It's, it's the arrogance, and you know, if you, like, like like me and Dan said on my podcast yesterday, if you've got arrogance and you're good, you know, people don't mind it. You know, you can go, yeah, well, he's good, he can back it up. But when you're arrogant and you're not very good, people don't like you. And he's um, he's a strange character, definitely. Yeah, he's not for me at all. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think that's safe to say. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of in terms of where you go from here, I mean, with a manager like Carlo Ancelotti, the natural instinct his natural decision is to say well you've got to back him you've got to give him what he needs you've got to let him build the team how he wants it but having spent so much over the past two or three windows are you really in a position to do that right now well calamity fc seemingly strike going to strike again tonight because we put in a bid for um pierre emile hoiberg from yeah so mm-hmm. we're seemingly after him. I mean, he couldn't do any worse. If he runs around, but he wouldn't do any worse. But I'm sure I would run around a bit. So I don't, I don't know. He hasn't even been getting into Southampton's team, which I don't know which what says about him or Southampton. But I, I don't know. It's that isn't the type of signing I think we should be making. I think he's a decent player, but I think I think we should be looking beyond that. On Ancelotti, though, I think he really does need some help. But I think he's. I I, I actually think he's in some way, performed a minor miracle getting this team to 46 points because we've got no idea how to play football whatsoever. So how we've got 46 points, I'm not really quite sure, considering we had about nine when Silver left Big Dog and his beautiful conference brand of football got us to about 15. <laughs> and then Carlo ever since. Is, we started off with Carlo and we had a pattern of play and it wasn't, it wasn't tough to watch like it is now. And we seemingly regress, but we're picking up a point here and there, and we're winning the odd one nil. I'll take that until the end of the season, and and George knows me. I'll take thirty eight one nil, but I think, <laughs> yeah. I, I think we need some sort of consistency to our play that will make us sustainable and winning games. Yeah, was 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 there a fee um quoted for oh my god Jordan Ayew scored okay sorry uh <laughs> we, we, uh, this, we're playing this during the the uh the no, games again that. this time it's uh, <laughs> I was gonna say let's wait for VAR to rule it off sorry yeah, it's offside for sure Jesus Christ penalty to Man United <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> we'll get to that we'll get to that game shortly uh but anyways what I was saying before. Uh, yeah, was there was there a fee quoted at all? Like, was it there was there like? I've heard eighteen and I've heard twenty five, so I'm sure it's twenty two and a half. Probably, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. You know, and ever with their recruitment over the past couple of years, you know, thirty million for Alex Iwobi is a, a prime example. You know, it's not in a month of Sundays, it's not worth thirty million. You know, sometimes for Arsenal, it probably wasn't even worth thirty Freddos, to be honest. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I, I think Alex Iwobi gets a tough rap from Everton fans because I don't think he's a bad player. I look at him and I look at the calamity which is Bernardo Arte. Oh my word, what a woeful footballer Bernard is. He literally looks pissed every time he plays football. He's terrible. And I'm sorry if there's supposed to be no swearing on here for him <laughs> because he's abysmal at football. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I, th- I can echo a lot of this stuff that's been going on at my club um, in terms of the football, in terms of the signings. Um, not so much the opposite with us in terms of spending loads on signings we don't necessarily need, but just quite quite the opposite. But uh, yeah, I mean, with Hoiberg, he is. I mean, he is a good player there, but the likes of Spurs have been linked with him. But for 22 million in Everton's predicament, and it seems to be a bit. You know, it, it does. It does wonder where where the logic there for that where logic is there. And I think with Everton, I think their recruitment policy over the past few years has just completely gone down the drain. And whether, whichever manager they've got in charge, uh, they need to sort that out as best they can. Otherwise, you know, you can see them stagnating, in my opinion. Yeah, we need we need we've got Marcel Brands in at the front of the football club, who's supposed to be leading the way with transfers. But as much as much as Steve Walsh gets a lot of I'm going to say stick for how it's gone with the recruitment over recent years before Brands. Brands is just as the same as Steve Walsh had some terrible buyers. It's a really, it's a tough one because we need now a period of consistency with Ancelotti where we buy, where we have three or four windows of buying players for his team to which we, we then become accustomed to that. Whereas even, even, even if you complain about Palace, at least Steve has, I know they haven't spent much Three or four or five windows as well, even if you haven't bought anyone, but of Roy's sort of team and you know how it's going to play. We just don't seem to have any identity. That's the issue. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, it, it, it was weird because when Ancelotti joined, it was it looked like there was a lot of positives in Everton. You know, you look, you look, you went on some really good form and it looked like you could maybe get another top half finish again, but. I guess there's a long way to go that we're starting to see that now at the end. Um, so we'll move on from Everton um, because, I mean, I'm Thank probably God. sick of it at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to, well, we'll start with probably the biggest. We won't go all through all the games um, tonight like we normally don't. Um, last night, it was the, um, well, I don't think we call it like a let's all laugh out, whatever, whatever we want to call it. I don't know. We've got, we support about five teams, so there's about a derby every two weeks um, if you have our teams involved. Um, but yeah, Arsenal beat Liverpool. A pretty convincing win for Arsenal in the end against a, you know, a Liverpool that's very much been on the decline since they sealed that um, that title. What do what do you two make of it on either side? I suppose. Well, I mean, I wasn't expecting us to beat Liverpool last night. Um, I must admit, uh, for the first 20 minutes of that game last night, I was thinking this is going to be a long 90 minutes. I was thinking this is Liverpool all over us, and they deserve to go one nil up. Um, but you know. We, we, I was really impressed with Arsenal last night, I must admit. Um, we defended really well, which is something I've said about twice this season, I think. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I would say convincing, because um, Liverpool, if, on another day, they probably could have won about 16-0 if they had their shooting boots on, and Martinez wasn't in goal. But it was, I was quite impressed with Arsenal. Um, it was quite an impressive victory, and hopefully we can kick on from this. But um, it was a game that didn't really mean much. You know, Liverpool are champions and miles ahead, and Arsenal are still ninth, which is incredibly annoying. But I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy from last night. Um, every player done a job. I, I, I've got nothing to moan about, which is very rare. Very rare. Um, David Luiz defended well last night. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, from um, from my point of view, it, it's obviously frustrating to see our in inverted commas decline since we come since we won the league. Yeah, I do uh, use that term very loosely. Just yeah, to, but it's uh, true. Because, yeah, no, it's true because we haven't been anywhere near the way we were prior to it, even prior to the lockdown, if you like. You know, we haven't come back firing at all. The Everton game, the Palace game was probably our best performance. So outside of that, we've not been great. And we and we were brilliant last night. Obviously, I think generally, if I'm honest, I think we dominated. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely <laughs> probably, dominated. Probably 80 minutes of the game. And there was a 10-minute period, probably in both halves, where Arsenal were in it. And we obviously gifted them both goals. Um, Van Dijk and Alisson, two people who don't make mistakes. So you can't really chastise them for it because it doesn't happen. Um, and as for us, yeah, shooting boots. Um, they were decent defensively. The keeper had a good night. But... <sighs> I'd like to get the points tally, of course I would, but if you'd have offered me, let's say we finish on 96, just for argument's sake, if you'd have offered me 96 points in the Premier League, I'd have bit your hand off. So. Would you, though? Because if you think about it at the start of the season, you would have expected, with having 97 last season, Man City to pretty much match what they did because they're pretty ruthless. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that point of view, but obviously... Yeah, when you take it, I'd like us to at least match last season. But when you add them up and you look at how many games we've lost over the course of two years, it's pretty insane. 
Oh, I love Christmas hats. <laughs> no, I know, but I get that. I think, I think to maintain... We can't, we can't drink, drink together. <laughs> no, I think to maintain that sort of level of consistency is very difficult. As Man City have shown this year, they've lost, I think it's nine Premier League games. Um, and we've only lost three now because, realistically, the City game was a bit of a mess. And then we lost last night. But that's because the league's done. We probably don't lose last night if we've got to win it. Oh, yeah. no, definitely not. No, Jesus. Yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so, generally speaking, it's, listen, it's difficult to criticise, especially when you've already won the league. But, yeah, there's definitely been a drop-off, 100%. And, you know, Arsenal, fair news for them last night. They defended all right. So. Yeah, I am re- I was really impressed with um, Mikel Arteta last night because before, all, before this lockdown, to be honest, I always had him down as some sort of Guardiola disciple, which does my head in because none of them are ever any good. These Guardiola disciples, they just... Not nearly enough long balls for you. (laughs) None of them are ever any good, but he's seemingly a bit more of a moist disciple from his time at Everton. Mm. We had had plenty of games where we won 2-1 and had two shots on target back in them days. So I think he's learned a bit from there and I think he's learned a bit. From 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 Pep and Wenger too, so I, mm. yeah, I'm really impressed. I, I didn't expect him to be as defensively rigid as he is at times, but I don't know. I might have just watched one game of his been play and he's playing Liverpool, but I don't know. I think he's done well so far. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed with Valtteri. Don't get me wrong. I think he's done a brilliant job so far. Um, he's turned some players that have, weren't very good into reasonably good. I'm not quite sure. Mesut Ozil, we'll get onto him. I'm sure. I, I, I think he's been furloughed. You know, I don't think he's. Ever, <laughs> I, I don't think he's playing football anymore. I'm not sure where he is. Um, they mentioned it last night in commentary. And, uh, he's ready though. He said he was ready on Twitter yesterday. I know. I know. And you know, I just, I just don't. I don't. I don't say where he is. Um, I sell him. I really was. I've had enough of him to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, with with Arteta, I mean, I think Owen pretty much, you know, got my my views spot on with what he said about Arteta is that. I wasn't really buying into the high premium at first, mainly because we've seen ex-players go into, you know, hex high-profile players. I know Arteta's not the highest profile, but he was, you know, pretty... He was sort of up there at Arsenal. We've seen them go into coaching roles like that before. You know, people like, you know, Thierry Henry, Sol Campbell, etc. Not always do as good as they're hyped up to be. Ryan Giggs, you know, all that sort of thing. And, I mean, again, I've, I've been impressed. I think what Owen mentioned about the balance between trying to play good, you know, good football that Arsenal are known for, but also recognising when they need to get a result, because that has been Arsenal's shortcoming for a long time, in my opinion, how they've, they've, they've always tried to stick to their roots and play the best football they can, which is admirable in a sense, uh, as I'm sure Owen's shaking his head. Uh, but you also have to wait when you need three points, you need three points. So being able to adapt your game plan is important to that. And, you know, Arteta showed last night against, against the best team in the league this season that, that he has he's been able to do that. No, well, I'll say, yeah, definitely. Um, it's like against Wolves as well. Um, on another day, we probably wouldn't have won that, but he's, he, as you absolutely spot on, he adapts to the opposition, something that Emery and Wenger in his later years didn't. You know, we, we, had, we had one one plan, and that was to try and play football. And when you're coming up against the, the top sides like Liverpool, um, who are better than Arsenal, there's no denying that. And um, <laughs> if this game was played again tomorrow night, it, it probably would be about 6-0 Liverpool, to be honest. But... Um, I, I've been very impressed with Arteta. Um, he needs backing, which I've said before. But um, it's, it, it is exciting times at Arsenal. I think next season we can judge him a little bit more when he can get his voice over a bit more and get his own players in, hopefully, and get rid of some of the deadwoods. But yeah, it's, it's, things are looking up, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I, I agree in a way with George that you know, I don't, the ex-players coming into jobs, I'm not, I'm not too keen. But that wasn't my point. Really, my point is. No, no, no. I'm not saying it was your point. I was saying that was more the angle I was coming from. When he was a point. Right. And obviously, just to clarify, there's more exceptions to that. Obviously, loads some players go on to do well, but genuinely, you either a top player or you're a top manager. You don't tend to be both. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I went, yeah. But I was, my, my point was more so. I've, I've just taken this real dislike to the Pep disciples getting jobs everywhere. <laughs> Because they play the, because they read Pep's book. I mean, you've got to have done something a bit more than that. But to be fair to Arteta, I think he's a bit more of his own manager than what just Guardiola's assistant. I think he's got a lot more going for him than that, and a lot more going for him than I expected to to have because he was linked with us around last September when we first moved to get rid of Silva, and I was really unsure about the idea because of the same issue we've got now with the fact that our midfield can't string passes together. 
and I expected them to come in and try and play this swashbuckling brand of football that we wouldn't have been able to play because we weren't able to play with Silva. But fair play to Arteta. He seemingly knows what he's doing in terms of both ends of the pitch. And to be honest, I wish Arsenal well because when he played us, I think in um, about nine years ago now, but I think it was about February, I think he was set up really well on the break at times. Because we had, we had a lot of chances that day in the second half for Arsenal were resolute. And I, I remember saying on the way home from the Emirates that day, that uh, Everton were playing Unai Emery's Arsenal or uh, Menga's Arsenal that day. We were pretty good and I think we win the game. But I, I think it's more of a testament to Arteta that he's got some sort of collective spirit in the team. Do you agree with that at all, Johnny? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely, he's, he's got to set up very well. Um, you know... Defensively, I mean, last night we were superb last night. So, um, I was shocked. I mean, I, I couldn't believe I was watching last night. David Luiz playing quite well. Mm. Um, but, I mean, they, they, Liverpool did cause us a lot of problems last night. I mean, if, if it wasn't for Martinez in goal, it probably would have been a different game because, you know, Mane was causing us absolute havoc. I was, you know, he's unstoppable, Mane. I don't, I don't know how you stop him, but it was... I'm impressed with Arteta, as I say. Um, he's, he, he's got set, set up well um, in the bigger games as well. I know against Man City we got battered, which is normal at the Etihad. We get battered every single season. But it's, I don't know. Um, if only if we had him for the whole season and then we got sacked way sooner, we might, we might be a little bit higher. But, oh well, never mind. I've got similar feelings with that with Ancelotti and Silva, to be honest. If we'd have sacked Silva in September, like we should have done, and got... And got maybe got Ancelotti in then. I feel like we're possi- possibly pushing top eight, top nine. I think the fact that we've left it quite late with Silva to the point where we're in a relegation battle, uh, it's really cost us, like it has Arsenal, to get higher up the league where we both want to be. Mm, definitely. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the summer um, window in particular, because we talked about this slightly before, um, that Arteta needs to be back for me now with what he's done with the squad that he's inherited and how he's been able to piece it together. Not always great at times, but I think he's probably done as good as he can. So he needs the, the backing for me, in my opinion, to really take them back to where they should really be in terms of the stature of their club. But yeah, let's let's move on now and let's move to probably the biggest story of the week so far. Obviously, I'm talking about Manchester City, who had their European uh, two-year ban from European club competitions overturned by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which was supposed to be for committing serious breaches of financial fair play between 2012 and 2016. Apparently not severe enough to keep their ban upheld, though. Uh, so... I'll start with you on this one, Dan, because obviously it's your favourite club we're talking about here. <laughs> what I mean, I suppose there's, there's two parts of this, really. There's what does this mean for, you know, what does this mean for VAR? I'm not big VAR. I'm, I'm still, you can, you can, you can, you can tell what's getting my mind on. Yeah. What does this mean for FFP, financial fair play? And, you know, the, what, what the implications for the future in particular? And what does this mean for Manchester City? And I suppose the established top six that often get touted in questions like these. Yeah, so, yeah, you're right, my favourite club. Um, <laughs> the the ruling when it came in, I was delighted, obviously. Not the, not the overturn, the actual the ban when it first first got implemented. I was made up because everyone knows in, in a roundabout way that Man City have to have been breaking the rules for a long period of time because they simply don't attract the revenue that the other big clubs do because they're not well established enough yet. They'll get there, you know, they're a big club now, they're going to get there. But the likes of ourselves, Man United, even Arsenal to a certain extent, have brought in so much money over the years that they can spend that money. That's that's what you earn the right to do. And that's what FFP essentially is. You spend within your means, you spend what you earn. And City have spent, I think it's something crazy, like 600 million, nearly a billion in the past couple of years. And they, they just haven't earned that. There's no there's two ways about it. Um, so, yeah, when it came in and they were banned, I was made up. Um, and I thought it would affect them going forwards. Obviously, not just the fact they can't win the Champions League for two years or previously couldn't, um, but also in terms of transfers, I think they might struggle. Even though they can offer a hell of a lot of money, a lot of players would probably turn down if they didn't have Champions League football. And I thought maybe a couple might leave, like to Kevin De Bruyne and Raheem Sterling. Obviously, now they're going to stay. So, yeah, I was gutted when it got overturned. What What baffled me with the decision more than anything was... It looks like a lot of the decision was based on the fact that the crimes, if you like, were committed over five years ago. So UEFA have a time barring rule on a lot of their 
um, a lot of their rulings. So it's a five-year time bar. So if it's committed over five years ago, it's kind of just wiped. It doesn't exist anymore. And a lot of the um, a lot of the accusations stem back to like 2012, which is obviously over five years ago. So that was a bit bit of a kick in the teeth in many ways, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, they'll obviously be delighted. It means they'll keep hold of the best players. It means Pep will stay, however long for, uh, and it means they can go and buy 60 million pound backup fullbacks once more. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously coming from a Liverpool point of view, we are probably the most stringent sticklers for FFP the way we spend money. I don't know if FSG, our owners, have shares in it. But we definitely adhere to it. So, yeah, it's a bit of a kick in the seat from we're doing it properly and our nearest rivals just aren't. But, yeah, it's um, it wasn't a surprise either, I must admit. Yeah, no, I agree with that, certainly. I mean, I suppose, Owen, as, as, a, as, a, fan of a, as, as a fan of a non-top six club, I guess you could say, alongside myself, does this not sort of, I mean, because we, we, I mentioned this point on your podcast when I was on there. If this was a likes of a Wolves or a Sheffield United that were making the decision or Burnley, not that any of them will be spending that sort of money in the next year, few years or so. I mean, Wolves maybe, but other than that, you know, I, I can't see the same decision. I can't see their, their appeal being accepted personally. Um, no, I can't even. The problem with FFP is, as it, is what it said basically on my, my own podcast the other day, is that I feel like, and this is just me, that, that it's designed to sort of stop upstarts in football, to stop new clubs coming into money and being successful through it. Um, I look at the likes of um, ourselves and Newcastle and Man City, where, what they were in 2012 and that. It's designed to stop teams coming in and basically spending more money than they can afford, so, which also then means stops them becoming the top four team. Now, I'm, as a rule, I'm not really. I don't really agree with this, and I don't really agree with FSG. I was about to say FSG then, but <laughs> I don't. Um, but I also do feel that there's also has to be an element of like you can't break the rules, and the rules are there to be. I, so I'm wondering if like maybe a wage cap or something could solve it, where clubs are supposed to be financially stringent, but also not restricted to spend money that they have as for Man City I, I think I'm happy in a way that it, it's been recognised that there's some flaws in the system of FP but I also I also feel like it, it doesn't really do anything for an Everton or Newcastle because we'll just be if we spend big money well Newcastle aren't at the moment but actually but if we spend big money or if they got new owners or Wolves if we if we spend big money, then it, we're not going to be treated as fairly as a Man City. Yeah, no, totally. Um, Johnny, I mean, when it comes to FFP, I mean, looking at FFP as a concept, I mean, I guess there's two arguments you can make for it. I mean, the idea of it is that it forces clubs to live within their means and only spend as much as they're actually earning. And with the, but that, that obviously naturally means that the bigger clubs with the bigger stadiums and better facilities are going to be making more. So I suppose there is an argument on either side that well the fact that these these even without all the extra you know billionaire owners and all sorts of things these clubs are naturally in a much stronger position than a lot of smaller clubs are so is there argument that maybe it shouldn't just be a case of limiting teams to what they have and actually there should be more doing to give these smaller clubs a chance to make the league more competitive or actually do you say well these clubs have earned this money by winning so many trophies and getting so many fans is that the way things should be what 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 do you where do you sort of fall on that scale well, I mean, with the whole Man City overturning ba- overturn ban, what annoyed me the most is they got fined 8.5 million, and yeah. their chi- their chief executive, I can't remember his name, he earns 115,000 pound a minute. So in 75 minutes, the, f- the fines paid off. Yeah. What's, what is the point of fining them? There's no point. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, final financial fair play, I, I don't I don't see the point in it. It's it's, it's absolutely pointless because teams get away with it and. Um, They've got these little loopholes that they can get away with it. And, you know, it's not fair because the littler clubs in the Premier League who could do with the money, for instance, and even lower down the leagues, you know, you've got teams like the Wiggins who are, who are struggling and you've got teams like Man City and PSG in France who take the piss and uh, they get away with it because they've, they, they've got loads of money. And if it was a Burnley or Sheffield United who'd done sort of it, this sort of thing, they would be um, 
they'd, they'd get points dropped and things like that. And I just think football's a business, unfortunately, and um, the bigger clubs do get away with it. You know, it's like in the league, in La Liga, Barcelona, Real Madrid, they get away with murder because they're Barcelona and Real Madrid, and uh, the littler clubs have got no chance, have they? Uh, yeah, no, I, I suppose where I was more coming from is, and I and I've, I've opened this up to Dan Owen as well. Obviously, you're free to jump with any questions I ask. Um, I was saying more about, I mean, take away the take away the corruption and the bias for a minute. Let's assume that you have the rules that are being applied equally to every single team, hypothetically. Do you think that in con, in, on principle, is that the right way to go about things, or do you think that it should be more of a more of an equal 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 distribution of of wealth or whatever you want to call it? I, I get the both arguments to the FFP thing. I think the reason it was brought in was to stop clubs spending beyond their means, like we've already said. And that we've seen in the past, like the QPR, they had a rich owner who came in, spent loads of money, and suddenly, essentially, he gets bored, the money dries up, QPR fall apart. And they are where they are now, mid-table championship. Portsmouth, the same. Years ago, they were spending far too much money, all falls apart, and then they're in League One. And this is what FFP, in my opinion, was brought in for, to stop that sort of thing happening. Because say, for instance, it hasn't happened, but say the Man City owners came in five years later, the money dries up, they get bored, they walk away from the club, Man City are left with these huge wage bills that they just can't can't deal with. So that was the reason, in my opinion, FFP was brought in to begin with, to stop clubs becoming a mess. That, in turn, has led to the whole trying to keep the top six as the top six argument because that's what happens as a reaction to it, which is not ideal. And I understand why clubs outside the top six would get annoyed with that because they see it as the big teams trying to keep it to themselves. But I don't think that's the the reason FFP was brought in. I think that's just a, a fallout from it. And as for Man City next season, I actually think it benefits Liverpool that they have Champions League football. A team or a squad like Man City playing once a week or instead of two times a week, that league, they probably walk it next season otherwise. So them having Champions League football is actually beneficial to us. Yeah, the way the way I look at it is Man, Man City, are, I think Man City are a team that needs to be challenged in a way. So I'm not sure I agree with that. I think Man City need to be on their toes because they perform and the way they play is sort of robot-like. So I feel like they need to be in the swing of things. Whereas if you see them in the first half against Southampton when it's sort of like if they weren't at themselves Southampton get a goal and then it gets the, it takes the stride away whereas if they're playing once a week like that you wonder if Liverpool were playing twice a week have the more of the, the, the sort of rhythm to keep it going rather than Man City just sort of taking their eye off the ball I might be stretching a bit there but I, I'm, I just I feel overall that Man City sort of need a big Champions League performance over a league performance, which is why I think Liverpool win it again. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it's yeah, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating conversation all around, I think. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, um, you know, if the ban's been given, it should be upheld, in my opinion. I mean, it's, it's quite clear that City spent the money that they should. And like, like Johnny said, the fine is just, that they were given in the end, is just ridiculous. It's being, and they, they, I think they know what they're doing as well, I think. The corruption is clear as daylight to see, but again, with with FFP, I suppose the whole you have to wonder if the whole system does need looking at as well. And I think there's some some really good points raised on all sides there. So I suppose there's really only one place left to go. Um, I've been trying to avoid talking about this as long as possible. I let it slip off there. But ever since the um, you know, obviously with the Palace Man United game, you know I've gone on two 0 up by the way. Uh, Anthony Martial uh, with his second goal. Um, well, it's United's second goal, I should say, his first goal. Uh, so yeah, I mean, all the talk tonight has been about VAR. Um, I'm going to wait to say my piece for a minute. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's, I mean, first of all, the, the Palace penalty that wasn't given, you know, it's right just before just before the half time, and then United go and score two minutes later. Um, and then Jordan Ayew's equaliser was being ruled out, as you heard just a, you know about ten minutes ago, ruled out. Um, but what looked to be, I've seen the I've seen the still image. It literally looks like a toenail that that's stuck out. So. I mean, yeah, you guys go nuts. <laughs> yeah, the, VA, the the offside VAR, it's kind of, it's, I say black and white, that's simply not true. There's been some armpits and some all kinds, but at least with the offside, you can you can see something. It's the objective ones that get me. That penalty in the first half, I brought it up when we first came on before we started. That is just an absolute stonewall penalty. Like, and apparently you've said they haven't even looked at it. It just doesn't make sense. Um that's what I've getting, heard. I, I haven't. I'm. I, I. I'm not watching the game, but I've heard. I'm hearing online that they didn't even yeah. look at it. 
it's just it's just bizarre. They haven't got VAR right all season. Let's let's be brutally honest about it. And it's not it's not particularly favoured one club the other. If you broke it down in the season, like I'm so sure one will, someone will someone will have benefited from it more than somebody else. But it's just across the board not been good. You know, and every club has had the moments, I think. I think every single team has got a point in the season whereby they'll say VAR has done us there. And when it boils down to it, I think it's been said a bit more recently, people tend to blame VAR, but there's somebody in a studio at Stockley Park watching that happen. Mm-hmm. So it's the standard of referee. And like I thought the ref last night was pretty dire. Oh, I'm I terrible, often, Yeah, I often think the refs are pretty bad. <laughs> so there's definitely a problem with refereeing in this country. And I said earlier on before we started, I said VAR in different countries has actually worked pretty well. I watched a lot of the Bundesliga and it works really quite well. Yet we don't copy the mould. There, there, there was a period of time, though, in across Europe, I think Italy as well, where you know VAR wasn't as good, and we had similar instances to this, and it took a few years to actually to, to get mm. it right. So it, it might be even problems, and let's hope it is because uh, it, nobody likes to see. Like I'm, I'm not a United fan, as you well know now, and I'm not a Palace fan, but I'm watching that game, and that is a penalty. <laughs> I don't want to rub it anymore, but it's a really bad one. VAR man, it's just um, it's like it's like last night. Um, I can't remember what play it was, but I think it was was it Alexander Arnold who with a high tackle. I can't remember what it was, and it it I mean it wasn't as bad as any Nketiah's from no. against Leicester, but in slow motion it looks bad. And yeah. and I mean oh, I don't think it was a red card. I think it was a yellow card. And I think, but the fact that Eddie Nketiah got sent off for, for something very very similar, mm. and it, well, VAR didn't look at it. And I just, I, that that frustrates me. I'm not saying Eddie Nketiah wasn't a red card. It was, yeah. in my opinion. But I, I thought I just thought. The VAR, the, the officials are terrible, um, and I've said for a long time now, why don't I have an ex-footballer with, with them who, un, who understands the game a little bit better? Because they can see what's, you know, if the player's gone down easy, they can go, yeah, I don't think it's a penalty. But these these referees, and they don't look at the bloody monitor, that's what annoys me even more. You know, they've got a monitor there that's doing nothing. And it, in Italy, in Italy, France, and all the other big leagues, if it, you know, the VAR, they go, go have a look at it, you make a decision. And they go have a look at it, and then they go, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll make that decision. Over here, they, they rely on a, someone who's not even in the same place as them to make a decision. And th- it's called the video assistant referee, not video referee. And I think uh, the referee should have the final say, not VAR. I, I, the way we talk about VAR in this country is if it's some sort of computer-generated yeah. sort of into some sort of technology. Well, there is in a way, but at the end of the day, it's still John Mott on the chair and Andre Mariner yeah. on the pitch. It, there's still human error to this, and it's really baffling that even with technology, these referees are so woeful, it's unbelievable. That's it, yeah. Like last week when we played Southampton, I think I think it was John Bottle, or was it Lee Mason, Lee Mason pulled throwing in the worst referee in performance I think I've ever seen in my life. It's so much so, I think the Premier League apologised after the game for his performance. I've not, I've never seen that before. He was that bad. It was just, he, 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 it's Lee Mason. Now, so I've come to expect it. Yeah. John Moss, who doesn't leave the centre circle, hence why he's stuck in Stockley Park now. He's the yam puppy of bloody refereeing. Good player. Are you right, Owen? Are you right, mate? You didn't say. <laughs> I just hate referees. We're talking about VAR and referees. Yeah. I, mean, I have deliberately tried to avoid it for the longest time because particularly <laughs> on the last iteration of the podcast it was all we would talk about and I'm very much trying to veer away from that But Can I just say on last night so late on in the game about 15 minutes ago Minamino is fouled in the six yard box yeah, like of course, he's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but he doesn't go down right? and I, I, we don't go into this now but he didn't go down stayed on his feet and doesn't get the penalty now we all moan in this country about when Jack Grealish dives like he did the other day which was absolutely horrendous and I think Harry Wilson's getting abused for diving last night as well. But Minamino stays on his feet and doesn't get the penalty. So he, sh- he should go down. You know, yeah. if contact, go down. I don't blame these footballers for going down easy in the commas. Yeah, I, I, thought was, I thought it was a penalty as well. I thought it was a penalty. I was thinking, oh, here we go. I'm going to re-quote my, my good old friend Sean Dyche on this again. That <laughs> if, if players are throwing themselves around on the floor and making a meal of it, they'll get a penalty. Whereas... Mm. Honest pros like I think Walcott against Brighton doesn't go down, doesn't get it. Actual penalties, they're not getting the the decision, and it's a bit of big club bias in that because Anthony Martial falls like a sack of spuds, doesn't he? But yeah, the the 
some teams get penalties for literally nothing. Like Man U, they get one every five minutes. Mm. It, it's baffling. I don't know where the state of the game is anymore, to be honest. But if you yes. moan about that, it's all part of the game. <laughs> I mean, my my problem with it isn't necessarily VAR itself. I think you hit really hit the nail on the head there, Owen, when you said it's the people in charge of it. As long as you have the same officials that are making the same mistakes, you know, deliberately or not, either way, it's a shambles. And until that changes, until that improves, you know, whether you have the technology or you don't, we're just going to keep seeing the same problems. So, and but I think as well, I think the the rules that have come with VAR because they've introduced a new set of rules. You can argue if that's VAR or not, or if it's a separate thing. But either way. I think that you know that that they're ultimately making football much less enjoyable to watch because it's again you're talking about things like shoulders and I mean you know Sacco the goal against Villa goes off his shoulder I mean if that goes in we probably win that game because we have a great record ahead instead we lose that two 0 and you know it's I mean to, to be to be fair it's not always gone against us I mean I remember the game at United last back in the start of the season we had two or three stonewall penalties for United not given. So it's not entirely a big club bias, but I also think that when you get towards the tail end of the season and things get more urgent and more is at stake, then bigger clubs are more, and I mean, all clubs are more desperate to get points. And I think with things like the relegation battle as well, it, it's, it's common knowledge that there's, you know, the, that you want to have, the Premier League wants to have more to play for, you know, because it's, it, it gets much better views. So you have to look at that and you have to look at the decisions that are given against with us against Villa, us against Man United and everywhere else in the league, not just with Palace, is that being factored into it? Because I think it is a possibility and I think it is something that needs to be investigated. Not that I think it will be. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just sick to death of talking about VAR. So I'm hoping we can just move past it. So yeah, so let's let's find let's get on to the headline act of the podcast that let's all laugh at. Uh, for those newcomers, this is where we all each pick one moment uh, that we that made us laugh throughout the throughout the week, regardless of whose expense it was at. And yeah, we just sort of have a bit of fun there. So I'll start with you, Johnny. Which one have you got? Um, it's a very difficult choice this week, but I've I've got I've got I've got one in particular. Um, it's 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 four of them actually. It's the Norwich defence versus West Ham. Um, it, just, it was just how bad it was. It was, it, was, it was just quite comical how bad a team could possibly be. Um, and it was just woeful. And West Ham aren't great either. And they scored four. It was just, it wasn't even a schoolboy defending. It was like, my one-year-old nephew could probably do a little bit better than that. And it was just quite comical. Not if you're a Norwich fan. You must be pulling your hair out. But, um, <laughs> well, if you're an Arsenal yeah. It was like four David Louises. That's what it was like. But um, we won't go into David Louise. He done well last night. But no, <laughs> no uh, Norwich for me, their, their defence was, was quite comical. Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone could deny that. I mean, Mikel Antonio, I mean, to be fair, he's probably been West Ham's most consistent player since they started the restart. But I mean, to let him score four goals, uh, I think he's doubled his tally in one game uh, for the season with that. I think he's now West Ham's top scorer. So it's, I mean, it shows, it just, yeah, well, I mean. If you no, play one West Ham game, score a hat-trick and you'd be West Ham's top scorer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't get you started on Norwich and Daniel Farker because we'll be here all night. Um, but yeah, have you got, have you got anything then, Owen? Um, yeah, I, well, I, it was originally going to be Daniel Farker, but as we've already laughed at Daniel Farker, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a moment to laugh at David Moyes because why not? I know he's doing well now with a win, but the way, honest to God, he, he the smirk on his face after that Norwich game last week when Nate won, he thought he was safe, and then Bournemouth from um, Villa come out with what he's got done since that game, he thought he was safe, and I would love nothing more. <laughs> <laughs> offered to beat West Ham tomorrow and they'd be bang in trouble. So You'd gonna... love it. You'd love it if they beat him. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Matter of time before that was quoted. <laughs> well, yeah, we're winning what he does, isn't it? So, you know. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, so, but apart from him, I was going to laugh at Daniel Farker. As I said on my own podcast the other day, I hope he and Norwich get, well, they are relegated and I hope neither of them return. What an absolute joke coming up. Not sugarcoating that one bit. Um, so, okay, so so Dan, I think you've, you've already hinted at your one so far, so... Yeah, I have done, and I'm, I am kind of sorry to Owen for this. Jordan Pickford. <laughs> now, I... Laughing players. Do, you know, yeah. do you know what, right? When Everton first signed him, I'm not one of these. I quite like Everton, in a way. I've got loads of mates who support Everton. But when they first signed him, I thought he was all right. I thought he was a good signing. Decent keeper. But he's progressively got worse and worse. And with that, he's got more and more arrogant. 
and I just don't understand it. Like, I remember the Newcastle game, and he was laughing at half-time, pulling tongues at the fans, and then he went and got beat second half. And then the other day, that happens. He goes through his legs, and he's got his tongue out again, and he's laughing. He's just... He's something not right in his head. There's got, <laughs> there's got to be something not right. Like, he's mental. I, yeah, it's Jordan Pickford. He's, as I've said before, he's, he's a really poor goalkeeper. And when he's in bad runs of form like he is at the moment... He deflects the fact that he makes mistake after mistake by looking at the camera and pulling a funny face. <laughs> but this mistake then won't be on the front, front cover of the back yeah, page. It'll be, his, it'll be his funny face. That's why he's, <laughs> just, he's, he's an absolute clown. And the quicker we sell him and get him out of my football club, the absolute better. <laughs> Speak very highly of you as well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> To be honest... There's only about three Everton players that I can at all stand tonight, and that's because they give Aston Villa a lifeline. I will just touch on the Norwich one as well. What a bizarre season from their point of view. I think they've got some decent players, mate, going yeah. forward in particular. Yeah. I think they've got some good players, but they've been so passive all year, it's strange. It's like they've accepted they've been relegated since about August. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, it's really bizarre, because I think they've got three or four players that all are clubs would benefit from. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's... it's it, yeah, I think it is a case with Norwich where, like you said, they have they have good players that could start in a lot of Premier League teams, but it's just a case of haven't been necessarily been able to adapt their style. Ironically, like Arteta has at Arsenal, um, to stay up, I mean, you can't go down the fence like they did, especially not against no. your relegation rivals when you need to win. Hey, well, that puts to bed the absolute nonsense for Daniel Farker to replace Roy. Um, I'm not sure there was much of that coming out to begin with, to be honest. But yeah, I, I, all the Palace fans I've seen that were in favour of him have, have, have gone straight out that window. So yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I don't want him at the club. I don't think he'd be a good fit to what we wanted to do either. But yeah, as for my nominations, like I said, we've been spoiled for choice tonight. And I, I can't I can't start without giving a few honourable mentions. Um, obviously, we've talked about VAR and I want to add John Moss's performance into that against Villa. Just the whole thing's been solidified. It's not my nomination, but we'll just get it out of the way. Uh, Jack Grealish as well for the most ridiculous yeah. dive I've ever seen. Um, I actually I actually liked Grealish before that game. I understood, you know, having a player that's infamous for diving rightly or wrongly. Um, I understand why it's like people give him stick because he's such a good player. Um, but after that, I can't defend him anymore. It was just ridiculous. Uh, obviously, uh, I want to give a shout out to Oxford United as well, who managed to yeah. lose to Wickham Wanderers in the playoff final after having 13 shots to five and 76 possession of the ball. Uh, I think I'm sure Owen's licking his lips at that one. I mean, I'm not knocking Wickham at all. They're a good side and I like them. They deserve the promotion. But when you have stats like that and you can't win, you deserve to lose the playoff final. And then, but the, the one that takes the cake for me, as I'm sure you've all seen, because I've, I've talked about it before, is Hull City um, losing uh-huh. 8-0 to Wigan Athletic in a relegation six-pointer, 7-0 down at halftime. Wigan, keep in mind, are obviously in, you know, in going into administration, likely to get a 12-point deduction. We talked about that on the second episode, I think it was. I mean, my God, to go into a game like that where you need to at least get a point minimum, probably a win with the position they're in, and to just completely, I, I, I looked at the game and I was like, you know, it's, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I saw all the jokes about how, you know, Wigan and Hull is typically a rugby match. It was, it was, it was like a rugby score. You look like, well, they can just, you know, score a try and a drop kick and they're back on level terms and all those, those sorts of jokes. It was, it was unbelievable. And, you know, you've got to feel for Hull fans being in the Premier League not so long ago and now just, just completely fallen apart entirely. So, yeah, I'll leave that up to you guys. Which one do you think we should go with? The whole one, definitely. Because... Yeah. I'm, I'm laughing at myself, to be honest, for missing the opportunity to put that picture of Phil Brown on, where he's got... <laughs> <a team laughs> Why yeah. didn't I do that on Twitter the other day? That was a lot a... of people did. You're, you're yeah. all right. A lot of people did. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's got to be Hull. You can't lose a game 8-0 and get away with it. No, yeah. Um, I mean, yes, it's when he has a six-pointer. You know, imagine we're going, right, keep it, keep it tight for the first 10, 15 minutes, get, get into the game, and you're 7-0 down at half-time. That is just... That's that's impressive in like in a good way either. I think yeah, I think Hull might have to win that. But with with Wickham, it's quite funny because they they're a team that wanted to end the season, and then they got in the playoffs by points per game, and then won the playoff final. That's you know for a team that wanted to, it's, it's impressive, isn't it? They, that's pure, that's quality, that isn't it? Did you see the stats before the game on like the style of football the two clubs played? Like Oxford were top on everything for like passing and expected goals and possession and all that. And Wickham, I think, were 23rd in the league on all that sort of stuff. It was mad. And then obviously what happened, happened. 
Yeah, I'll have right. you know in every major um, division in Europe, Wickham Wanderers have the lowest pass accuracy. <laughs> <laughs> they have got Akin Fenwa, though. So, oh, Akin you know. Did you see his post-match interview as well? Brilliant, 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 yeah. yeah. What an outrageous character he is. Yeah, I would I would have put that as nomination as well, but that's more of a laugh with rather than that. Yeah. So that doesn't really apply as much. But mm. well, Tim Closer versus Akin Fenwa next season, George. But you can't wait oh, for that. Oh God, yeah. I'm <laughs> that. If he stays, he's, he's, he's destroying Norwich, by the way. He's about styles. forty, isn't he now, Akin Fenwa? Will he still be playing? They're all yeah, in the forties. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, have much of a squad left if they let all them go. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I think it's, you know, I didn't even realise it was Wickham's first time in the championship. I thought they'd been it in, like, the 1940s or something for, like, even, I mean, a couple of seasons. But no, first time ever. And, yeah, like you said, massive well done to them um, with the stats that they've had as well. It just goes to show that it's about, it's not about how you play. It's about, it's all about getting results at the end of the day. So, and again, the points per game thing was just ridiculous for them as well. I know, I think it was Peter that dropped out after having a really good run. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was. So the way Sunderland fans were moaning, they were about 40, weren't they? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. And yeah. Ipswich, well, Ipswich were trying to. I mean, I can't really save this for the, the, this week, but it was definitely something I would have laughed at if I had the chance. Ipswich were basically trying to cheat the system just any way they could, just so they could do the points per game where they could get in the playoffs. Because they'd lost like five on the bounce or something and were in 10th, in I think it was, they finished. Trappé the were the same, though, weren't they? Trying to stay up. They were trying to come up with their own point system that meant they stayed in the <laughs> Oh, yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? But then you look at. If you look at Ipswich, I think first half of the season they win every game, like the first fifteen games or something. They were cruising it, and then that's an, that's another fellow we can laugh at. Paul Lambert, he was a Premier League manager about four years ago, weren't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, can't string a win together in League One. <laughs> <laughs> How the mighty have fallen, and all that. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can understand because obviously when you're with the, how the pandemic's been hitting, and when you're a lower league club in that position, you can you'll do anything you can to try and get the money that you need to keep you afloat. But unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. And, you know, it's about doing what's as fair to as many clubs as possible. And I think I think it was the case that if most clubs, if they had to play the last few games, they would be worse off than... Because the, the, the TV rights are much less than the Premier League and the Championship. They barely get any at all. So it's much... It, it, it basically would have been... They would have lost money by playing the games rather than ending the season early, or at least most of them would. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I suppose that's the way it falls sometimes. So, yeah, we're just about out of time. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. Be sure to drop us a like and a follow, whatever platform you're on. You can find us on YouTube and SoundCloud at Let's All Laugh At A Football Podcast. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at let LALA uh, underscore podcast. Uh, be sure to check out Johnny and Dan's works on Last Word on Sport, Extra Time Talk, Life's a Pitch, and their social media. And be sure to check out the Parks and Bennis podcast where you can catch myself on the latest episode. Uh, links in the description as always. Thanks to Johnny and Dan for joining me as always. Thanks to Owen for being our guest. Thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Take care.